From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father John Tregilio. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Monday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father John Trujillo is in the house, ready to answer your questions about the Catholic faith. Pick up the phone and give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. That number is 1-205-271-2985, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. And you can always send us an email. That email address is openline at ewtn.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And actually, I don't think Jeff Burson is handling our social media efforts. Okay, I got you. All right. He'll be stepping out momentarily, and then Mr. Michael McCall will... Take over in his stead doing a little double duty. Not doing double duty today because his single duty is so important. Father John Trujillo, how are you? I'm doing well. And in fact, after the show, I'm heading up to my diocese in Harrisburg because the relic of St. Jude is going to be uh, venerated and we're having Mass at 7 p.m. tonight at Holy Name of Jesus. So I'm looking forward to that. I thought you were getting ready to say that you were going up as a relic. <laughs> I already am. That would have been, that would have been just. <laughs> Disconcerting. Fourth-class fourth rally, though. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, we got an email here from uh, Gary, and he says, What are sacraments, and what are graces? Do they involve salvation? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, the sacraments were instituted by Christ. You know, and Father, before you continue answering this, I think uh, <laughs> we probably take for granted more often than we would care to admit how much people know about the Catholic faith. We just kind of assume that they would know certain things that are might be obvious to us, but they're not obvious to everybody else, huh? Well, true, and I am I teach catechism to the uh, propodeutic uh, guys up the road from the seminary, and, um, you know, they're all good guys, but uh, they weren't all necessarily catechized all the way when they were growing up. So even among our Catholic faithful, they, they, they're a little, you know, fuzzy, or and it's not their fault. The priests or deacons in their parishes maybe didn't teach them too well about what sacraments are, what's grace, and uh, so I'm glad this is a good question because uh, it uh, it's essential for our salvation. We need grace to be saved, and all grace comes from God. Grace is a supernatural gift from God, and there's two kinds of grace, sanctifying grace that makes us a child of God, that uh, gives us the the right to go to heaven if we're worthy, and actual grace, which gives us the power to do good things, to do good works. We need both. And the way sanctifying grace comes to us is through the sacraments. So 
God devised this beautiful system in which the seven sacraments give us sanctifying grace. It washes away original sin and baptism and then pours in uh, sanctifying grace, makes us a, a child of God. And so through all seven, bapti- or all seven sacraments, uh, through baptism and, and confession and Holy Communion and confirmation and anointing of the sick, matrimony and holy orders, all give us that sanctifying grace that is necessary for salvation. And a, and a sacrament is an outward sign uh, of an invisible grace. So you can't see grace, but grace is what makes us holy, which justifies us, applies personally what Jesus did on Good Friday to each one of us. So we need grace to be saved, and it comes to us from God. Uh, Jesus gave that those beautiful sacraments to the church, and... Uh, you know, it's something that isn't just something that keeps us priests busy on the weekends. You know, Father, we usually just answer emails here in this first segment, but we have a very special caller today, so I think we're going to go to the phones Ooh. early. Sophie is in Ellis, Kansas, listening on Divine Mercy Radio. Sophie, what is your question for Father Trujillo? Um, why did God create the devil if he knew that the devil was going to cause sin to the world? Okay, that's that's a logical question. Why did God create the devil? Well, he didn't create the devil, in fact. He created an angel named Lucifer who became the devil. The, the Lucifer and one-third of the angels rebelled against God, and because of their disobedience, uh, they were cast into hell. God created hell for them. They were cast into hell, but they were originally made good, just like Adam and Eve were originally uh, created good. They chose to go against God. Uh, whereas with the devil, he becomes uh, the devil after his sin. And someone might ask, well, if the God knew that he was going to do that, which obviously God does know because he knows everything, he still had free will. Uh, Lucifer and the other bad angels did not have to uh, go against God. They could have been like Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel and the other two-thirds who stayed good. And Adam and Eve did not have to sin. So the mystery of why is there evil in the world uh, we can't fully wrap around our minds, but we do know this, that God allows free beings to use that freedom, but there are consequences of our free choices. And God never gives up on us, though. Uh, so even though we, we we fall when we commit sin, as I just mentioned, uh, we have the beautiful sacrament of penance and reconciliation. We go to confession, and we start off with a clean new record, uh, just as pure as the day we were baptized. And, um, you know, the, the Lord... Uh, in his divine mercy, allows us, if we are penitent, if we're sorry for our sins, and have a purpose of amendment, he will forgive us. God bless you, Sophie. Thanks so much for the phone call today. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Got a question from Andy, and I think the the premise of the question is a little problematic. Wow. He says, "If Mary is omnipresent, does that mean the saints are also?" <laughs> well, Mary's not omnipresent; <laughs> only God is. And yet, I heard this from a very reputable uh, theologian, very author, very orthodox and sound doctrine. Since the Mary and the angels and the saints are in the presence of God, and God is everywhere. In a sense, we could say the saints are where are with the Lord. Uh, Mary and Jesus are the only ones who have a physical body in heaven. The rest are just pure spirits. 
but we only say that God has the unique um, quality uh, of ubiquitousness, which is a fancy way of saying omnipresent. He's everywhere. But since they're in his presence, all right, um, you know, the saints and angels are with us when we're at Mass. That's the most beautiful way. They're with us here uh, when we're uh, praying. Um, I just, you don't want to give them that particular charism or quality of ubiquitousness in the same way we, they obviously are not omniscient. They don't know everything. Um, but to the extent that they're with the Lord, the only place that you they would not be able to be present is where God's not wanted, which is in hell. But everywhere else, you know, that's what we call the communion of saints. They're connected to us in some way. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to say that Mary is omnipresent. That's a little too much of a divine characteristic. Uh, 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Michael wants to know, how does each person of the Trinity have separate wills and yet are one God? Uh, they don't have separate wills, <laughs> except Jesus. Uh, since the incarnation, he's one divine person, but he's got two wills, a human will, a divine will. He's got two intellects, a divine intellect and a, a human intellect. But the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in their divinity only have one and the same divine intellect, one and the same divine will. So what one knows, all three know. What one wills, all three will. Uh, but in Jesus, because he's the God-made man, uh, since the incarnation, his one divine person has these two full natures. So he's got a full nature. He must have a uh, human will and a human uh, intellect. And his will, his human will, was always... Uh, conforming to the divine will, because to go against the will of God would be sin, and there's no way that Jesus could sin. 833-288-EWTN, that's our toll-free number. It is a free telephone call anywhere in North America, 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one. 205-271-2985 and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985 and you can always send us that email it's openline at EWTN.com it's EWTN's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Hey, listen very closely here. November is the month of all souls, and we pray for the souls of all the faithful departed in purgatory. Tradition tells us that though the dead in purgatory can pray for us, they cannot pray for themselves. 
and they very much need our prayers throughout this month of November and throughout our lives. We owe the deceased our prayers. So join us in this devotion to all souls with books and children, uh, books for children and adults, uh, crucifixes, prayer cards, DVDs, the whole lot at EWTN's religious catalog. That's EWTNRC.com. And you know, Father, if we pray for the holy souls in purgatory, it makes their prayers for us more powerful. Absolutely. And being Italian, we know you do a favor, a favor will be done for you. (laughs) Ian writes in, um, and grab one of these open phone lines, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Uh, Ian says, uh, 1 John 5.16 says, I am not saying to pray for them, parenthetically the people who died in sin. Is this evidence against indulgences? (laughs) No. (laughs) It's not the case because we see, obviously, you know, in the book of Maccabees, um, they prayed for the dead, that their sins would be expiated. And we've been doing this since uh, day one. Um, the Christians would, would um, not only gather in the catacombs to celebrate the Holy Eucharist, but also to pray uh, where the martyrs were and to ask for their prayers and also to pray for those who maybe were not yet uh, in, the, in the beatific vision. Um, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, purifying fires. And so, yes, it's certainly possible that someone could go directly to heaven, but as we all know ourselves so well, uh, we still have some uh, unfinished business. We have some attachment to our some of our sins. Even though we went to confession, we confess them, there's some temporal punishment due. And purgatory is a beautiful thing because um, you want to be pure. You want to be cleansed. And anyone who's been through uh, the purgation of purgatory, nobody's going to say, when you're in heaven, how did you get in? You know, uh, They're going to know that if you walk through those pearly gates, it's either you did your... Purgatory on earth, or you did it in in, in purgatory itself. Uh, Davis writes in, does the phrase, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, mean that we can only have peace, only have the peace of God when we are in heaven? Well, a full, I mean, this idea that the fullness of peace, the tranquility of order, um, our intellect, all right, is looking for the true. Our will is looking for the good. And the only way they'll be totally, perfectly satisfied is when we're literally in the presence of God. When we see God face to face, when we're in his divine presence, uh, all truth will be made known to us. Pure goodness itself, God is the sumum bonum, the supreme good. Meanwhile, while we're here on earth, the Lord is obviously going to give us um, not, not just an appetizer. Uh, he's going to give us uh, an amount we need to so that, sort of to sustain us and to get us um, on the way, because you know, the more you love, the more you want to be loved, and the more you can love. And so, uh, as and that quote was from Saint Augustine. You know, our hearts are, are restless till they're at rest with Thee, O Lord. Right now, here on Earth, we have some um, uh, level of consolation, but it's imperfect. That's why there's always some periods of desolation. It's only in heaven, where there is no desolation at all. There's total fulfillment and joy. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. We head next to St. Louis, Missouri. Faith is listening on Covenant Radio today. 
Faith, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Thank you. Uh, Father, I have a question. Uh, when a family, a friend, or someone passes, uh, the first thing we hope for is that they're in purgatory or heaven, and we're praying prayers for them and mass intentions. And my question is, if these people should end up in hell, what happens to those prayers? Yes, they're never wasted because the spiritual benefits that would be available, obviously, someone in hell, there's nothing that uh, nothing can be done for them. Uh, they don't want anything. There's nothing can be done for them. But uh, those are not never wasted. So any prayers or masses, uh, it goes to what we call the, the treasury of merit. And then uh, God and the church can dispense those to those who are in need. So obviously the souls of purgatory, uh, the living here on earth, so since you and I do not have metaphysical certitude, uh, not, only, not only that, but we're, we don't even have moral certitude, we don't even have a hint of, of if any particular person is in hell, we've got to give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, we're hoping that they're at least in purgatory. So since no one's been divinely revealed that they are roasting in hell, give people the benefit of the doubt and keep praying for them, keep having masses uh, celebrated for them, um, and once they get to heaven, you know, again, it doesn't go to waste. So if they're, God forbid, if they're in hell or if they're already in heaven, you're not wasting your time by having prayers or masses offered for them. Thank you, Faith. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. Wide open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Catherine wants to know if Mary had children other than Jesus, and if not, why is the word brothers used and not the word cousins? <laughs> okay, good question. Mary had no other children because she was a virgin ante inter postpartum, which means before, during, and after uh, the birth of Jesus. She She's had no other children. Uh, she's had no relations with a man ever. Uh, she was um, She conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's true, in the English translation, uh, Jesus is told in the gospel, your brethren, your brothers and sisters are here. Um, And that would, in the English uh, understanding, we'd say, oh, that must mean he's got uh, brothers. Well, they're not blood brothers, they're not stepbrothers, they're not half-brothers. Because look in the King James Version of the Bible, which is as Protestant as you get. You look in the book of Genesis, and there's a few places where Abraham... Uh, is with his nephew, Lot. But he's never called nephew in the King James Bible. The word brother, and then two particular places, uh, somewhere I believe in chapter 12, it says Abram and his brother Lot. And yet, we're also told in that same book of Genesis, uh, Abraham uh, has a brother, and his brother's son is Lot. And so, uh, uh, the relationship of uncle and nephew is never said in that way it goes a long way around okay it's abraham's brother's son which we conveniently say is his nephew so if you could call lot the quote brother of abraham knowing that that's an inclusive word meaning any type of male relative then when jesus is told your brethren your brothers are outside that would be his uh, extended family because in ancient hebrew and also in in, in ancient greek they did not use those very restrictive uh, usage of brother, meaning only, you know, you share the same parents. 
uh, because the Greek word adelphos can mean any male relative, uncle, nephew, or brother. So that's one thing. And the other thing, too, is if Jesus had these other siblings, where are they? Why are they conspicuously missing on Good Friday? What son or daughter of Mary would not be there if their brother or half-brother was dying on the cross? And why would Jesus give Mary to St. John to take care of if there were these supposed siblings? So it makes no sense. 833-288-EWTN. Matt Kubensky is starting to get a little weepy oh. because he's being ignored and has nothing to do in the call <laughs> screening room. So give Matt a call. Call on those phones. That's right. With with your question for Father Trujillo at 833-288-3986. John says, is it true that if people get an abortion, they're automatically excommunicated from the Catholic Church? And if that's the case, does that mean people who commit murder are also excommunicated? Well, let's look at this very precisely. Excommunication is a particular uh, punishment for a particular crime. And in both cases, in a murder of you know, an adult or anybody outside the womb is considered a mortal sin. Abortion is a mortal sin, but because of, um, it's not that it's more severe, but because you're dealing with a purely, totally innocent, uh, unborn life there, and to dissuade people, the church imposes a special penalty of excommunication, which applies if the person knows there's a penalty. They don't necessarily have to know that there's a latte sententiae uh, excommunication, which is the canonical way that, that it's described. But as long as a Catholic knows that there is a penalty for committing abortion, then they incur it, which now, thanks to Pope John Paul the Great, Pope Benedict, and Pope Francis, any pr parish priest in the confessional can not only absolve the, the sin of abortion, but could also uh, remit the punishment, the censure, uh, in, age, in older times, if we say ancient, when I was newly ordained, uh, you had to ask for uh, permission from the bishop. Uh, you wouldn't tell the name of the person, obviously, to protect the, the seal, but you would say um, X or Y came to me, and I need to be able to re uh, remit that um, under um, that uh, excommunication that's, that they may be still under. But why people say, well, why don't you have it for um, child abuse? Why don't you have it for... well? It's Again, it's not that these crimes are any less or we're not comparing apples and oranges. It's just that because we want to dissuade as much because more peop more abortions are committed than any other thing else, more than murder, more than uh, uh, any other type of, of crimes of violence. And it's so pure, the, the victim, the unborn child. So that's why it has a particular excommunication. But you also have excommunication for desecrating the Blessed Sacrament. Um, when a priest tries to absolve his accomplice in the sin against the Sixth Commandment, when um, uh, someone lays violent hands on the Holy Father. These are all automatic excommunications. 833-288-EWTN. June wants to know if Catholics and Protestants worship the same God. I think so. <laughs> There's only one God, um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And what I find interesting is every time I see on TV, someone will say, oh, you know, Joe, Joe, uh, Joe Sixpack here, uh, he, he's a devout Catholic, and then his next-door neighbor is a Christian. Well, hello, <laughs> we're Christian, too. It's just that Christianity, uh, you have Protestant Christians, you have 
Eastern Orthodox Christians, you have Catholic Christians, but uh, the, the point is, we're the ones who started it. <laughs> Orthodox broke from us, the Protestants broke from us. So yes, Catholic Christianity is definitely Christian. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. What else do you want? 833-288-EWTN. Still one open line at 833-288-3986. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Megan in Michigan, Pat in Missouri, and we've got plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. It's Open Line Monday with Father John Tregilio. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Congratulations going out to another longtime member of the EWTN radio family. Real Presence Radio is celebrating their 19th year with EWTN. Congratulations to Lynn DeVitt and the great team at Real Presence Radio. They're now heard on 27 stations in North and South Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Congratulations from uh, from all of your fr- your friends here at EWTN. 833-288-EWTN. That's our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Back to the phones we go. Megan is up next. She's another first-time caller in Ann Arbor, Michigan, listening on the Amazon Echo. Uh, Megan, you're on with Father John Tregilio. Okay, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. What's your question? Uh, my question, okay, my question is, um, is it too late to pray for my deceased relatives that I've never met, and more specifically my Protestant grandparents? Oh, no, you, um, that's an excellent question. You don't have to have any recollection of them. You don't have to have any memory of them um, because they're your family, and you can certainly pray for any of your ancestors who may, may be in purgatory. Um, now, how far you want to go back, you, we, we just don't know because it's not actually time, chronological time like you and I experience. It's a state um, of purification. But that being said, I don't know how much more purification, knowing my family, you know, <laughs> I was doing our family tree uh, not too long ago, and, you know, some of our branches are really weird. Um, so, yes, you can pray for any of your ancestors you can pray for grandparents even if they were not of the catholic faith um you know we don't know what happens at the moment of death if uh, god maybe presents himself uh in his fullness but, but obviously anyone uh who's already deceased and is you know getting ready to see the lord uh they're not going to be surprised when they find out mary and the saints are there they're not going to be surprised when they find out jesus is indeed the the son of god so um, you know, we f- firmly believe that truth will be revealed to, to everyone who is in heaven. God bless you, Megan. Thanks so much for the phone call today. That frees up a line for you at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. We head next to the state of my birth, Missouri. Pat is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Pat, thanks for holding. You're on with Father John. Hello? Hello. Hey, Pat, are you there? I'm fine, yes, I'm here. Go right ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Um, You were just speaking about how Brother was translated 
as just any relative back in Christ's time. So I told my sister that, who decided she wants to be a non-denominational uh, in that church. And she said to me, then what is, Mary went to visit her cousin, just like that. And I was, there I was, <laughs> looking at her like, oh boy, I'm in it now. So how does that work, with cousin and Mary going to see Elizabeth? Okay. Again, we're looking, or she's looking at the English translation. Uh, the Gospels, the Old Testament was first of all written uh, primarily in Hebrew, except the uh, those seven books we call the Deuterocanonical, or what Protestants call the Apocrypha. They were written in 250 BC. They were written in Greek. But the Old Testament, primarily in Hebrew, uh, then the New Testament um, in Greek. And it's the Greek word Adelphos, which is even in... Um, because there was a Greek translation called the Septuagint of the Old Testament that was done uh, around the same time um, of the, during the Babylonian captivity. So the Greek word, Adelphos, is a translation, a Greek translation of the Hebrew word, Ach, which is any male relative. Um, so when they're translating, when they were translating from the Greek and the Hebrew into Latin, and then from Latin into the, um, English, um, they obviously refined because we have more ways of distinguishing uh, people's relationships. But the same word in the Hebrew that would refer to Mary's relationship to uh, uh, St. Elizabeth is the same type of concept here uh, between, like I said, between Abraham and his nephew, uh, Lot. Lot is not his um, brother in the sense that you and I would use the word brother, but he is his brother's um, son, and we would say he's his uncle, and Lot is his nephew. But that's not what the word is in the Hebrew or Greek, and it's certainly not even in the English of the King James Bible. But nobody would say, no, we insist that Lot is his blood brother. Well, it can't be his brother, because Lot's father is Abraham's brother. So again, with Jesus, um, and, or you were asking about Mary and Elizabeth, they're cousins, because we know the we know the relationship, but the same inclusive word. Like I would use the word relative. My brother is my relative. I would more often call him uh, my brother because we have that word in English that's restricted to uh, that relationship. But if I say my uncle, my my nephew, my cousin, my brother are all my relatives, that's true. It's just a more inclusive way of, of describing it. And, I, and there, there is no shortage of English translations that actually say kinswoman there instead of cousin. Exactly. Does that help, Pat? Yes, that helps. Thank you so much. You're very good. You're, well, I'm sure you're very good, too, but you're very welcome also. 833. It's been, it's been a long week today, Father John. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Brian's watching on YouTube, and he wants to know, is biblical inerrancy a dogma of the church that I have to believe to be a Catholic? I have trouble believing that some of the anthropomorphic depictions of God are not in error. Well, uh, yes, inerrancy is something we must believe on sacred scripture. We have, we have to understand the way the church understands it. Um, when uh, Pope Leo XIII uh, talked about biblical inspiration, and when you read about uh, 
inerrancy of Scripture, certainly from the time of the Council of Trent, and also it's reiterated in Vatican I and certainly Vatican II, and it's in the Catechism. Uh, St. Augustine gives us the best um, context on this. When I look at something in Scripture and I see an apparent, an apparent contradiction, uh, it's not that the Scriptures are in error, it's my interpretation that's in error, because if the Holy Spirit is inspiring, how can the Holy Spirit inspire error? An apparent error would be, you see, well, there's a conflict. Like, for instance, in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we have two stories of creation, one side by side. Our normal reaction is to say, oh, well, which is it? You know, in the first one, um, man is made at the end of the week, male and female. In the second one, God creates Adam first, then the animals, and then Eve. Well, if you compare them side to side, like you're comparing book reports, yeah, you know, one's either one's right or one's wrong, but they're not written as reports. They're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Each one is looking at the same thing from a different perspective. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Mary is in Dallas, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Mary, how are things in the Republic today? Oh, we are doing well. It's 80 degrees here. Oh, it's about 80 degrees in Birmingham, too. <laughs> Sorry, Father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mary. Thank you for taking my call, Father. Um, I don't know if I'm getting caught up on the semantics um, of the word perfect, but is it appropriate to say that Adam and Eve, before the fall, before they chose to um, uh, go against God, were they born perfect? And Mary, being born without original sin, is it also appropriate to use the word perfect and say she was born perfect? Yeah, I would not want to use that term because perfect strictly means no uh, defects, uh, no imperfections uh, at their complete, total, optimum uh, existence. And human beings are finite. Only God is perfect. God not only has no, um, no faults or weaknesses, He's always the same. He's an eternal now. Uh, he cannot grow in holiness because he's been always holy. Uh, Mary and Adam and Eve in their in their creation uh, were created in the state of, of, of grace because Mary's got the immaculate conception. Adam and Eve had not yet sinned. All right, so they had they were made in sinlessness. Um, Mary was given a special grace that allowed her to be impeccable. Um, preserved from sin and she didn't commit sin but uh, for if they were perfect then they would have been god they would have been gods and that's not what we believe 833-288-EWTN we'll stay in the republic of texas lisa is in san antonio listening on guadalupe radio lisa you're on with father john tragilio hi father hello hi i have a quick question for you does a deceased person know um, if they're being uh, had prayers and uh, masses said for them, if they're in purgatory or if they're in hell, because we don't know where they're going. So if we were to say a mass for this person or we say prayers for them, do they hear those prayers? Do they know they're being prayed for? Um, it's not a dogma, but I firmly believe that they do because we believe in the communion of saints and to be in communion means to be connected. Um, so certainly the people in purgatory, I believe, know. And uh, we had a priest here who was uh, an expert in um, other matters. Uh, he was 
an exorcist, and he dealt with many people who were obsessed with the um, uh, the occult. And he was telling us a story once of, of these sisters who there was something funny going on in the laundromat there. Nothing evil or malicious, but um, almost a little prankish, or you know, they would find things um, uh, were moving around, moved around when they weren't there. They finally figured out that there was a sister who, 40 or 50 years prior, had been killed tragically in one of the uh, washing machines, those old-fashioned ones, and she got hurt and died. And they thought, well, maybe nobody was offering masses for her anymore. So they had a mass said, and as soon as that was done, it all stopped. So that, you know, maybe she was from purgatory asking for more prayers. So he believed that, and uh, again, this is not dogma, but I would think, too, that, you know, uh, our loved ones, you know, uh, want and need those prayers. And when we do pray for them, believe me, they're going to remember that you did that. So then they're going to pray for you all the more. John is in Yakima, Washington. He's listening on Sacred Heart Radio today. John, you're on with Father Trujillo. Uh, yes, my question is, I attend a fairly conservative church. And uh, I asked the priest on the Sunday after the war broke out in Israel, why we didn't offer up any prayers for Israel and her people uh, in a portion of the Mass where we send up our prayers to the Lord. And uh, he said it was because it was set beforehand. So I waited for next Sunday, and there was nothing. And the next Sunday after that, there was nothing. And... Uh, it seems to me it, it's one of a number of prayers we offer, and I, I don't know why we why we wouldn't be doing it in our church. I didn't get an answer from, from him. I, I think it's a very logical question, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that it wasn't attended to. I understand when I was a pastor for 16 years, um, you know, things happen after you make the list up for the prayers of the faithful, uh, universal prayer, sometimes called the bidding prayer. Um, so I understand that sometimes things don't get in at the last minute, but like you said, the war's been going on for a while. And we're here at the seminary, you know, we're very good at mentioning all the victims uh, of the war. Uh, we certainly pray for uh, the Israelis. We pray for things as they're happening. We're praying for peace in the Ukraine. Um, thing is, I know some priests are a little, say, well, you know, you can't pray for the same thing over and over again. Well, if something's going on that's bad, you sure, I mean, I remember as a kid, we prayed for the conversion of Russia for the end of the Soviet Union every day. And the nun said, you don't stop until it, 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 it stops. Um, so I don't like this idea of, you know, well, people's attention spans are, are shortened. That's not the problem. Uh, you just don't want these prayers to get long and long and long and mention every single person in the world or in the parish who needs a particular thing. But definitely, something of this magnitude, I would say, every parish should should mention at some point. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be a social commentary. Let's pray for the victims of the war. Let's pray for uh, those victims, especially that horrible terrorist attack that started this whole thing. All those people who were, um, you know, tragically and horribly uh, murdered and terrorized. Uh, Mother Angelica Live Classics, Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Mother guides us through the Anima Christi. 
or soul of Christ. It's a prayer that's said uh, oftentimes after the reception of Holy Communion. That's Mother Angelica Live Classics, Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio and Television. Next up is Marge in the great state of Illinois, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Marge, you are on with Father John Tregilio. Hello. Uh, yes, my question is, um, why do you think the Feast of the Annunciation, the Incarnation, is not um, celebrated as a, a holy day of obligation? Because it seems like it's more important than some of the holy days. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> uh, I would like it to see... You know, because as you said, you know, if there was no incarnation, if there was no annunciation, there'd be no Christmas. If there's no Christmas, there certainly wouldn't have been no Good Friday and no Easter. So yes, and I know in the um, Eastern Catholic Church, uh, the Byzantine Catholic Church, you know, they even celebrate the annunciation even if it falls uh, during uh, Holy Week because of uh, of that special emphasis. Plus, I think to be really pro-life, this would be even wonderful that we celebrate the moment okay, of Christ's conception in his mother, which took place at the Annunciation. Um, now, the problem is that, uh, you know, we're losing our holy days as it is. You know, there, there are 10 universal holy days, and most countries uh, got dispensed. You know, here in the United States, we're down to six of the 10. And even with those six, some of them, almost all of them, except for two, uh, if they fall on a Saturday or a Monday, that's not a holy day of obligation, Ascension has been moved to a Sunday. So, uh, you know, I would say, yes, bring them all back and especially add the, the Annunciation. But it's above my pay grade. <laughs> so not much I can do. Wide open, wide open phone lines. How am I doing? Jam-packed phone lines is what I meant to say. We'll rifle through as many as we can get to before the end of the hour. Todd is a first-time caller in Kansas City, Missouri, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Todd, you're on with Father Tregilio. Hello, Father. How are you all doing today? Wonderful. Um, so my question is, uh, I, I tend to... So my main focus is on Jesus and studying the Bible and understanding to, to the best way that I can possible. And in order for me to do that, I have found it a joy to go from, you know, I, I was raised more so as Baptist, but I do enjoy going to Catholic Church every once in a while and, you know, just getting that kind of ancestral uh, mass in, in me. It, feel, it feels good. And I just wanted to know if, is, is God okay with me being somewhat of a nomad as long as my focus is on Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you focus on Jesus Christ, and we're very happy that you have a good relationship with him. We just, and I think the Lord, too, was like to invite you to a fuller participation in that, but, you know, uh, so what you're doing is is, is good. It's just like, uh, you know, if you're getting um, one meal a day, that's good, but three meals a day would be even better so, uh, yes, I would say please continue what you're doing, but think about, contemplate, pray about of maybe God is, is bringing you into a fuller uh, experience, not just of having that uh, connection historically, but also with, with this, uh, because we as Catholics believe we are really completely united with Jesus when we receive Holy Communion, and we need to be united uh, you know, in doctrine and discipline in order for that to happen. But 
I would say continue what you're doing, but think about going a little bit further. A3- We'd love to have you. <laughs> yeah, 833-288-EWTN. Susan's in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Susan, you're on with Father Tregilio. Hey, Father. Um, it's my understanding that, and maybe I'm wrong, but you have to be baptized in order to qualify to go to heaven. Um, what happens to the babies that um, are aborted? Okay, yes, baptism is necessary, but there's three kinds of baptism. The most normal and common one is baptism by water, uh, water and then the invoke of the Holy Trinity. But it's also baptism of desire and baptism by blood. And with babies who are aborted, you know, uh, I've heard arguments say, well, you know, it's almost like a baptism of blood, like the Holy Innocence, but also baptism of desire that uh, had those children been brought to term and born, um, who's to say that they would not have wanted to be baptized at some point in their life? So we do believe in the universal salvific will of God, that God wants everyone. He doesn't uh, make it happen. Uh, and also, as St. Augustine says, God gives everyone sufficient grace to be saved, but it becomes efficacious for those who cooperate with it. So uh, we don't believe that God's going to penalize or punish uh, an aborted child because they didn't have a chance to get baptized. That's why the word limbo isn't even in the catechism anymore. That was a way of explaining what happens when someone dies without sacrament of baptism. But even St. Thomas Aquinas talks about uh, a baptism of desire. So uh, I think they're in good hands, but that doesn't mean that you and I should not still strive to end this evil of abortion and whenever possible to baptize uh, anyone that's in danger of death. Uh, Marcus is in Columbus, Ohio today, listening to EWTN on St. Gabriel Radio. Marcus, you're on with Father Tregilio. Hi, good afternoon. So I've got one question. It's kind of a twofold question. I'll try and make it quick. And just for reference, this is coming from a mind that's fairly scrupulous and from someone who has, you know, had their struggles with alcohol in the past. So maybe that context will be of use. So the first half of my question is essentially, is there a more objective marker, if you will, a more objective way to measure and define what drunkenness is? Um, you know, I've heard many answers over the years, you know, drink to the point of hilarity, you know, stop, stop drinking if you can't say an Ave in Latin anymore, all kinds of stuff. Um, but is there something more objective and solid with which we could measure that? The second part of this question is... <clears throat> Um, is drunkenness the sole thing which makes drinking alcohol sinful? In other words, if I have a Saturday afternoon free and I'm hanging out with, say, my fiancé, we might start drinking at 2 p.m. and finish at 10 p.m. or something. And in that time, I might have eight or nine or ten drinks, which sounds like a lot, but I'm not getting drunk. Is that still an illicit behavior? Wow, okay. <laughs> Limited time we have left. Um yeah, because each person reacts differently to alcohol, we all have different toleration levels. It's hard to say that you know it, there's not a particular uh, ounce or amount. You say, oh, once you cross that line. Uh, likewise, you know, how many beers, how many uh, shots of whiskey uh, does you once you cross that, you know, uh, are, are you now drunk? It's how you're reacting to the alcohol. I would say though, uh, especially since I had a brother who was killed by a drunk driver. You know, if your judgments are starting to be impaired, you may not be plastered or drunk in, in a strict sense, but your judgment is off. You're judging uh, distances not too well. 
you should not be driving. You may not be, you know, over the legal limit. Uh, that that's the way the civil law looks at it. But after you've had a couple of drinks, no matter what your toleration level is, your ability to make snap decisions as you're driving decreases. That's a medical fact. So if you're at home and you're drinking a lot, all right, maybe you're not going to uh, jeopardize anyone's life, but it's also going to lessen your inhibitions. Um, it's going to um, have an effect on you. So although you may not see a definite correlation, um, having a lot of alcohol and one shot, even though it's a period of time, again, it's not a magic number. So I don't want to say if, you know, if, how many you, how many it is. Some people, because of their body mass, obviously they have, they're eating in between. Um, but someone who drinks to get drunk, obviously that's a bad sin there. Um, I forgot what the other part of the question was now. <laughs> um, if you were, if you were, is, is being drunk the only thing that makes oh. drinking alcohol illicit? Yeah, it's not just being drunk. It's, you could cause scandal. As I tell the seminarians, if you could handle uh, four, five, eight beers and it's not going to affect you, but you're out in public drinking that many, someone who can't handle as much might say, I got to keep up with him. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're not setting a bad example or being an occasion of sin. But, uh, you know, for the sin of drunkenness, you have to knowingly, willingly uh, say, you know, I want to lose either complete control or as uh, partial control of my good judgment, which is not a good thing. If I'm drinking socially and it's just enough that, you know, uh, I'm feeling comfortable, no problem. But if I'm starting to get to the point where I'm slurring my words, my vision, uh, my reaction time is down. You're getting into dangerous area. Well, unfortunately, my apologies to Dan in San Diego, John in the great state of Michigan. But if you'll call us back either tomorrow for Father Wade or next Monday for Father John, we would be happy to put you to the front of the line. Father, would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, Ephilius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Kubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Open Line Monday. Back at it tomorrow, talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy. Until we get together tomorrow on Open Line Tuesday, God bless. God bless.